you would please turn to Jonah chapter 3. Jonah chapter 3. This is God's word. We're going to read chapters 3 and 4. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very important city. A visit required three days. On the first day, Jonah started into the city. He proclaimed, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. The Ninevites believed God. They declared a fast, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When the news reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. Then he issued a proclamation in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let any man or beast, herd or flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did, And how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion, and did not bring upon them the destruction he had threatened. But Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. He prayed to the Lord, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? That is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love. A God who relents from sending calamity. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, Have you any right to be so angry? Jonah went out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord provided a vine and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. Jonah was very happy about the vine. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the vine so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you have a right to be angry about the vine? I do, he said. I'm angry enough to die. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this vine, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. But Nineveh, has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about that great city? May God add his blessing to this reading from his holy 
an inspired word. After his time inside the great fish, three days and three nights, Jonah got deposited on shore in a stream of vomit. And at that point, he obeyed God's word. But we see that his attitude was still unchanged. The reason that he didn't want to go to Nineveh was because he hated Nineveh. Nineveh was cruel to his nation, to God's people. They were bad folks. They did bad things. And so the message that they're going to get destroyed was music to Jonah's ears until God said, go warn them. He was like, no, just do it, God. Just destroy them. But God's word was to go and warn the people of Nineveh. He resented God's mercy to others. He resisted God's call on his life. Even when he spent time in that great fish, he refused to change his attitude. And when things did not go his way, we see him becoming angry and preferring death I'd rather die than live in a world where I don't get what I want. That's tragic. That's typical. We feel entitled to have our own way, to get what we want. Dear guy, I knew him when I was in seminary. He was really a very nice guy. He was not in seminary. He was working in, in normal employment, a law office. And, uh, I mean, we were both young men, and we, we agreed to go in on the purchase of half a steer because we both liked good meat, and you could get a deal. And he had a home, so he could keep the freezer at his house and I would just pay for half the beef, but half of it would be mine, and I wouldn't have to pay for the freezer or the electric bill. Okay? And we would go over to his house and enjoy good beef. That was the plan. Well, the first time we went over there, he had chosen some steaks out of there, and my wife and I were meeting with him and his wife, and the ladies were inside, and he was cooking outside. One of those little hibachis. Not really the best thing to to cook on, but you know, we were young, didn't have a lot of money. And so he's flipping these steaks on the hibachi and one of them fell onto the ground. He accidentally dropped it onto the ground and the first words out of his mouth, he said, oh, I'm so sorry. And I said, well, I just figured that one would be yours. <laughs> you see, if you're flipping steaks, and one of them lands on the ground, that's obviously not yours. That's somebody else's. That's the way we live life. We feel entitled to get the better share. Everybody wants to buy low and sell high. We feel like we ought to be able to 
insist on the best price when we sell our house and that we ought to get a really good price when we buy the next one. Everything is supposed to go our way. The river is only supposed to flow in one direction. We are supposed to have our own way. That's not the way life works out. So what do people do when they don't get their way? They become angry. They feel that this is injustice. I wanted that. You're standing in the way. Jonah's attitude stinks. But it's epidemic. It is so widespread, it is so typical, it is a picture of the human heart. He became angry to the point of wishing if he couldn't get his way, he just didn't want to live. It's better for me to die than to live. He was selfish. We see it when he builds a shelter for himself to watch what's going to happen to the city. He's hoping to see them destroyed. And while he's there, he's uncomfortable and the vine grows up and suddenly he's happy. And then the vine dies, and now he's miserable. If you find joy in your circumstances rather than in the Lord, you're not going to have joy for long. You can lose your joy if you find joy in circumstances because circumstances change. Let me just tell you something. You might want to write this down. You might want to remember this. Circumstances change. They do. That really great thing that you thought you had to have that was so good and you got it after a while is not what it was when you bought it. Things change. Our bodies change. Other people's bodies change. If you marry somebody because of their looks... You better enjoy it fast. Oh, Pastor Wood, don't say that. You, your wife is still lovely. Yes, my wife is still lovely. But my wife is in, increasingly shocked when she looks in the mirror and realizes that she's not looking like she did when we got married. Okay? Why? Because gravity, gravity fights against us continually. And parts of us begin to give in. <laughs> it's just the way it is. I used to have really good biceps and triceps and forearms and shoulders and pecs and lats. Now I've got a lot of crepey skin. <laughs> the muscles aren't as big as they used to be. They're getting smaller because... Because of my spinal problems, I'm not allowed to lift anything anymore. I can't even carry a gallon of milk. Esther, what are you saying? If you tried to pick up a gallon of milk, you'd drop it? No, I'm saying they tell me if I do that, this thing is going to require surgery. So I say, ah, I, can, I, I can do without that. I can buy a half gallon. And it's okay. Because I'd rather avoid the spinal surgery. Thank you very much. But Pastor Wood, 
you don't have those muscles anymore. Yeah, you're right. I don't. And it's okay. It's really okay. Because I don't think anybody was going to come around and want to use me as a model for a muscle magazine <laughs> when I'm in my late 60s. Do you? I don't think so. No matter what I looked like. I'll just tell you this. If a guy my age is ripped, he is spending too much time on the wrong stuff. All right? If you find joy in your circumstances, you can lose your joy. But if you find your joy in the Lord, you will never lose your joy because God does not change. Circumstances change. God does not change. God does not change. Years ago, I, in looking at this passage, noted you can try to run away or you can obey. You can be blessed or you can be depressed. You can find joy in circumstances or in God. Jonah gives us an example of doing everything wrong. He got it all wrong. Well, he did, he did obey God. Yeah, after he got thrown up on the beach, following three days and three nights inside a great fish. He wasn't godly, but he wasn't insane. I mean, you want to go back inside the fish? I think I'm going to obey God. He went to Nineveh. He proclaimed the word of the Lord, not because he wanted to, not because he loved God, but because he didn't want to suffer anymore. And he was very glad to be alive when he realized down in the belly of the great fish that he almost drowned. But once he got out and did what God said, he became depressed again because things weren't going the way he wanted them to go. What do we learn about God in all this? Well, the first thing is that God actually sees what's going on down here and is intimately involved in it. And God will allow evil to go on for a long time, but eventually God says, no more. No more. God does warn repeatedly of coming judgment. And although it's not in the book of Jonah, what's going to happen later in the Old Testament and later in history is that the Ninevites, having repented, went back into their old ways after a while. They expressed humility and repentance and the fear of the Lord, but then, looks like we made it. And they slipped right back into their old ways. And you know what happened to them? God sent them another prophet. And he said, judgment's coming. You're about to be destroyed. And they were. God destroyed Nineveh. So here, judgment is delayed. But you better know, this doesn't mean there's no such thing as judgment. The reason we're alive right now 
is because God is merciful and gives us opportunity to repent. But it's not because there is no hell. In Matthew 7, Jesus says there will be many who will say one day, Lord, Lord, didn't we do this? Didn't we do this? Didn't we do this? Didn't we do this? He says, I'll say to them, depart from me. I never knew you. Jesus talks repeatedly about the judgment and about the reality of hell. He says there will be weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. Let me just tell you, hell is real and you don't want to go there. But what we need is not just to clean up our act. We need a Savior. That's what we sang about this morning. We can't fix ourselves. We need a Savior. And God sent His Son to save us. Jesus paid the debt we owed. But you better believe that when God warns of judgment, it's because judgment is real and judgment is coming. And you're either going to be saved or you're going to be lost. Those are the only two options. God not only warned of judgment, God accepted repentance. Now, the way in which they expressed repentance was, I'm sorry to say, in my mind, almost comical. The idea that they would rip their robes and and put on sackcloth and, and refuse food and drink, that's not funny at all. That makes perfect sense. The idea that the king would even say, don't let the animals eat and drink. Well, okay, that's pretty extreme, but but okay. But when you start putting sackcloth on the cattle, I don't understand that one, okay? But the king was like, hey, we want to do whatever we can in order to send God a message that we are really sorry about the way we've been behaving. And look what he says about their behavior. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. We live in a culture right now that celebrates and glorifies violence. And then people wonder, why? Horrible, evil things happen in our culture. It's not about guns and ammo. We just now have very efficient ways of doing horrible things. But when my Ukraine kids lived in a little village called Vornovitsa in the Vinitsa Oblast of Ukraine, It was one of the highest murder rates in all of Ukraine. And they didn't have guns. They didn't have gun violence in that place. They killed each other with knives and shovels and axes, bricks, whatever was available. 
is the problem is the human heart. When I was growing up, kids used to drive onto the school grounds in their pickup trucks with a gun rack right behind their head. And they had a deer rifle with a scope, if they could afford it. They might have a shotgun. And that was all over the parking lot. And nobody thought anything about it because we all knew what guns were for. They were to hunt. Not hunt people. Now, you can't bring a gun on the school ground unless you're security or police officer. Can't be done. Why? Well, because our society has changed. And kids are now growing up in a world where the government has said that it's okay if you want to kill the life of your child, as long as you do it early enough, like when it's little. Our schools have been indoctrinating children that were just the result of chance. You're just highly evolved slime. It's all you are. Life is meaningless. Nobody has a right to tell you what's right and wrong, except me, because I'm telling you nobody has a right to tell you what's right and wrong, which is telling you that it's wrong to tell you what's right and wrong, which is a totally self-contradictory argument that is everywhere in our culture. Insanity. And with it, Entertainment, watching horrible things, getting desensitized, finding a thrill in pretending to kill. We wonder what's wrong. How could this happen? What in the world? The heart of man is deceitfully wicked above all else. Who can know it? When I was a kid, we didn't have movie ratings. We didn't. I remember when they first introduced G for general audience. Okay? They started warning people that this is for general audience, this is for mature. It's an M. And then, of course, if you're a total sick pervert, we've got X. But that didn't have enough finesse. We want to be able to do something that is a little more like an M than a G. So what can we do? And they started coming up with ways to do this. What brought about that? Well, you see, for decades... Hollywood had a code. They had a bunch of rules, and if you made a movie that dealt with any kind of sin or violence, you had to be very careful to follow the rules and how it was presented so that violence and sin didn't look good, and they weren't too graphic in their depictions. As a matter of fact, when Gone with the Wind wanted to have Rhett Butler say to Scarlett, 
Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. That was a huge national controversy because he said, damn. Can you imagine a time when that was shocking? It was. And when everybody has to follow rules that keep the movies and the television shows sanitized, even though the people producing them may have been horrible, wicked people, but in order to get their movie out, they had to clean it up. In order to have television on the air and have American companies sponsor it with their commercials, which is what television is all about, the shows are just a way to get you to watch the commercials and buy the product. That's it. Because actually, the people who produce this stuff know that commercials do influence behavior. So do the TV shows. So do the movies. So do the video games. So do the magazines. We decided we don't need that code anymore. We're past that. And so they did away with the code and they just introduced ratings. And the standards have slid further and further and further and further. And one of the things that is glorified is violence. And then we wonder what's going wrong. Why would so many people do something like that? And then you look at what's happened to the American family. And it's... I think more and more like what Nineveh must have been. Because families, it used to be there were some, some kids who came from really difficult family situations. But now, that's most kids. It is. It's most kids. And you see, fathers and mothers matter. They really do. God accepted repentance. He warned of judgment, but he accepted repentance. And we see also in this that God provided. Chapter 1, verse 1, he provided his word Chapter 1, verse 4, he provided a great wind. Chapter 1, verse 17, he provided a great fish. Chapter 2, verse 10, and chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, God again provided his word. Chapter 4, verse 6, he provided a vine. Chapter 4, verse 7, he provided a worm to chew the vine. Verse 8 of chapter 4. He provided a scorching wind. In verses 9 through 11, he provided his word once again. God said to Jonah, do you really have a right to be angry about this vine? Jonah said, I do. He felt justified in his anger. Why? Because he was uncomfortable. That vine was sheltering his head. I'm entitled to it. 
God said, you didn't grow that vine. God provided the vine. God made it grow, and God made it die. But God said, I'll tell you, there are 120,000 little children, little children in Nineveh. When God speaks of a bunch of people in Nineveh, 120,000 who don't know their right hand from their left, that doesn't mean they were all walking around a bunch of adults like, well, I have birthday, uh, I, don't, I, uh, I don't know. That's not what it's talking about. It's talking about little kids. It's talking about little kids. Actually, God cares about children. When somebody harms children, God cares. God cares. But the solution, if you don't want little children to be destroyed, is for the adults to repent. That's what's needed. That's what's needed. Humble yourselves. Fast and pray. Put on sackcloth if you're so led. But recognize we've got to turn away from thinking that violence is wonderful and that we're entitled to what we want that makes us feel good. God cares about people. And that's why he warns of judgment. And that's why he calls us to repentance. And it's why he sent his son to pay the debt for all who will believe. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Father, you know everything about each of us. We have no hope except in you. Help us, we pray, to repent of our sin and trust in you. And we'll give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen.